Hi, I'm Becca Otis from Five Lines Pottery in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Ryan Durbin from RD Ceramics located in Southgate, Kentucky. And welcome to Wheel Talk. Hey guys, we've loved answering all of your questions so far. If you'd like to hear your question on the podcast, please send them to us on Instagram at Wheel Talk Podcast or by email to wheeltalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Okay. Um, hello. Hello. Welcome. Um, so today we have a new guest on the podcast. We actually reached out to her because of her expertise and her role at um, a place that many of us have experience with, with Kentucky Mudworks. So welcome to Link Henderson. Thanks. Hi. Yay. Hi. <laughs> um, for people that don't know who you are, can you do like a quick introduction of kind of who you are and then maybe I don't actually know much about your backstory of like how you got into clay or anything like that. So if you wanted to kind of go into that, that would be good for people to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I say, um, a lot, that's really important for you to grasp and it's going to happen a lot. Um, (laughs) so I am the owner of Kentucky Mudworks, ceramic supplies, clay glazes, and also dirty girls, pottery tools and Groovy Tools, um, those are two brands that of products that we produce, as well as our clay and glazes. And I've been in business since 2001, so when I was wee, wee little lass, um, and just started teaching classes and um, like throwing on the wheel and making pots of my own and selling it. And um, so that's been about 20 years. This is probably about our 20 years. Later in the year will be our 20th anniversary. So. Wow. Well, I didn't know it's been now. I know. I got into clay when I was 13, actually. I fell in love with it. I took an after-school class. My mom uh, always encouraged me to do art. And I tried everything, you know, after-school painting, collage, sculpture, you know, that kind of thing. And then one of, one of them was the clay on the wheel and I was like oh my god mom this is the greatest thing in the whole world (laughs) I made this little turd for you and it's got a hole in it and you can put a sponge in it and this is the greatest thing ever and I was like on the cusp of puberty you know and and I was like this is where it's at everybody in the studio was like 85 and they were like (laughs) my kindred spirits you know and I was just this little 13 year old who was like you know I didn't really enjoy school very much as far as like people my age were just doing stupid shit you know drinking party and and I was just more like I need to find my purpose in life you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) very mature for a 13 year old right I was pretty you know I had a lot of therapy at that point um and so um I just I really loved it and I kept saying hey mom I want to keep taking pot pottery classes and so there was, I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, and there was okay. a, a thing called Durham Arts Council, and they had evening pottery classes and like weekend ones. So she would drop me off and I would take classes. And then once I got the ability to get a car, bought my car and would go Friday and Saturday, I'd be like, let's go to the pottery studio. You know what I mean? As a teenager, nice. like, that was my jam. And uh, I loved it so much. And then graduated from college, went to like a liberal arts college, double majored in studio ceramics and Latin. And oh, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> you got to do that. Right. And yeah. so, um, 
And then I moved to Kentucky for with a friend for whatever. I was like, yeah, I'll get a job. That's cool. And um, a couple years into odd uh, jobs, food service, et cetera, I met a girl who's actually a really pretty well-known um, ceramic uh, artist in Bloomington, Becky Lowry. And she was teaching classes at like the local art league and she was moving and with her husband and she needed somebody to teach. So she handed the teaching off to me mm. and I was working odd jobs at the time. And I was like, Hey man, I could like, I can do this. You know, I could like quit my job and do this thing and teach classes yeah. and sell pots. And so I did. And then, uh, 2001, you know, nine 11 hit and it was like, well, fuck, that was a good idea. And, uh, <laughs> but we made it through and gradually I realized there was nowhere in the whole state to buy ceramic supplies. Like the place in Louisville had just closed because they kind of didn't want to do it anymore, which was like, whatever. And so I would go to an art fair and lots of people would be like, Hey, where are you getting your clay? What are you doing? What's going on? And I had 30 students to deal with. And mm. so I was like, oh, I think I should add this to what I do. And as soon as I started selling stuff, people were like, oh, my God, please sell this and sell this because there's nowhere to get stuff. Right. Really how the supply part was born is that it was just a way to diversify what I was doing. Um, I didn't do really well at art fairs. It's not it's not in me. People who do that, I'm like, you are awesome because I can't do it, it because it requires you to sit and wait. And I can't. You got to be patient. <laughs> you got to you got to have the wherewithal to like interact all day repeat the same things all day and i am not that person who sits at a craft fair and waits i'm like should i could be doing 87 other things blah 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 and i also like i don't have a body of work per se a lot of people are like oh what's your style what's your work look like what's your artist statement that's not me it's i'm very much like for me my artist statement is mudworks and the things that it offers and what it does for the people who are part of what I love. What can I get you? How is this good? How is this bad? How can we fix that? That kind of thing. And it allows me to be like porcelain, red clay. You know, I can just do all those things and I don't have to pay my bills making pots because I'm just too, I'm just interested in all of it. You know what I mean? I don't have yeah. that focus to, uh, to make a living off of that that's just not for me and I yeah it I'm, sounds like you've wanted to kind of teach and like help other yeah. makers like up and coming and like learn the skills and like that's what I enjoy and providing I enjoy, the supplies and yeah, all the resources nerdy, you need yeah the nerdy science part of glazes and clay and that kind of thing and making new products and tools and stuff like that like for me that's what I really you know enjoy so that's how right. I ended up where I am so. That's wow. cool. Well, I um I also want to know about the farm that you guys have. Oh yeah. So I just have a uh like eight or nine acres, and it's only about an acre and a half of like fields, and the rest is house and lake and pond. And I had chickens for a long time, uh like 200 chickens, and I sold eggs, uh which was cool. And then the foxes came in and they just ate all the chickens and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. 13 years of trying to deal with chickens. I'm done. Um, and my husband actually, I bought the farm before I met him. Cause I was like, I need to escape to a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have my space, you know, I'm like very 
I like to just look out, you know, because my day is full of 500 phone calls, 1,000 emails, products, employees. Yeah, you got to unplug. Yeah, and uh, and I lived in cities enough that I'm like, you know, I don't I don't need to walk to the bar. I'll just stumble to the fridge and then go to my studio. I'm good, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I just I'm good. And so um, I met him after about a year, year and a half after I moved out here, and I had started farming garlic and I had a couple of chickens. And he was actually a a trained chef at a breakfast restaurant, so he started buying eggs off of me. And then uh, a couple of years after he left there um, is when the foxes just moved in and just. So now I just have garlic and like potatoes. We do garlic and potatoes and stuff like that. So that's so cool. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. It's like a lot of work, but I kind of enjoy like physically exhausting myself on a daily basis. And I don't know. I just like garlic and I don't know. I just like to watch something grow and farm journal. And, you know, this year (laughs) the weather was like this and this (laughs) variety didn't do well. And I didn't fertilize like I should, you know, just stuff. I'm just a very like busy, busy hobby related person. So I always have to be, you know, to me, that's relaxing. So, yeah. So for people that don't know much about Mudworks or you, where exactly are you located? Kentucky is the main facility, and then we have a little satellite store in Louisville uh, where people can buy, you know, whatever they need. But we make the glaze and the clay and Dirty Girls tools and groovy tools in the Lexington facility. Nice. How big is that space? Because I think you all just moved in the last year and a half or two years. It was huge, but now it's really filled with crap. Um, (laughs) It's 20,000 square feet, and it really should be like 50, but... Oh, well. oh wow! Yeah, I'm just so. thinking about that's big. In the Louisville, when you all moved there as well, I feel like did you all move both locations within like a year of one another? Within a month. A month, yeah. okay. I didn't know how long it was, but yeah. I, I visited both locations mm-hmm. in the different locations since they've moved. But how yeah. big is the one in Louisville? It's like 2,800 square feet. I really had to like bug out of my place that I was in there. It wasn't a great place. It was a great location for customers because it was very central, but downtown is not hospitable to tractor trailers and forklifts in the street and people are very busy and they're honking and get out of my way. And it's yeah. like, it's just not, it wasn't a great environment for an industrial setting. Yeah. And so when the lease was up, I was like, I'm because you previously made all of the clay in Louisville, correct? Yeah, in 5,000 square feet. Yeah. Oh, my so God. Tiny. It was really, really small. And at that point, I was like, if we don't get out of here, I'm going to have a stroke. And, <laughs> you know, there was just, it was like, oh, you need that one thing, and I have to move 16 pallets to get to it kind of situation. Because, you know, when we started making clay, it was like we'd make, you know, four skids of a clay and we only had like eight clays. Now it's like, I need 40 skids of that by next week. I need 40 skids of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. We had grown to a point where it was uh, still small in comparison to the giant companies like standard Laguna places like that. But for us a lot of bigger. And so we just needed to move. And I live 45 minutes from Louisville and I was commuting every day and I live like 30 minutes from Lexington and it just works out better 
Uh, it's actually, the Lexington store is significantly busier because it's actually really centrally located to the state and like people from Ohio and people from Tennessee, right. and North Carolina, West just, Virginia, North Carolina, yeah. like they can all kind of yeah. meet there in, in Lexington. Yeah. So it's a much busier store, but the Louisville store is getting a lot busier. Uh, it's out in Middletown. So for people who live downtown, it's a bit of a drive, but it's better than driving to Lexington. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're, uh, so you, when did you all start making clay? You said you started with like eight clays. How long is 2016? Okay. Yeah. I've been wow. playing with clay bodies for several years. I had some recipes from college and, and I was just like, you know, for me, it was like, I don't know, 2016, I'm trying to think of what the world was like back then, pre-COVID. Um, it was like, it, we had hit, like, Kentucky only has four or five million people in it. So, like, we kind of were topping out with, you know, sales and growth. And for me, I, I guess in a lot of ways, personally, I was a little bit not challenged. Mm. felt a little not challenged and I was like I need a challenge let's go crazy you know what I mean and so <laughs> I just was you know I've been selling a lot of different clay brands for many many years and there was never anything new never anything exciting never anything that was like oh that doesn't need glaze on top of it you know and so for me I don't I just was like I think I'll just start this little thing that'll be kind of cool and um, will be fulfilling for me and will grow my business a little bit. And so, you know, I just was designing clay bodies that I thought were, were the clay itself was beautiful, both in the raw state. Like when you open the bag, if you look at a bunch of our clay bodies, it's like, oh my God, they're like beautiful, you know, in the right. raw state. And then, you know, you fire them and there are some that are a lot similar to others. I mean, there's only so many speckled buff clays that you're going to make. But for me, I had been throwing for like 30 years and I had thrown with everything that I sold. And I was just like, oh, so bored. And a lot of clays were, a lot of clays are just really, um, you know, really slippy, really goopy, really sloppy. And I like, I throw really quickly. Like, I'm like, boom, boom, let's get... Yes! In my mind, I'm very much a production potter. And I, if I have to clean my hands off 50 times by the time I'm done with a mug, I don't like that clay. I don't have time for this, for just goop. But I also don't throw with the goop. Some people throw with the slip, which is cool. But for me, I like super clean, thin water so I can feel it because I'm like, zip, you know, zip, let's do this. And, I mean, I have lots of pots where I'm like, you know, I'll take 25 minutes on a tea bowl. But I mean, as far as like in years past, I used to make a lot of commission stuff. Somebody would come in and say, I need a hundred cups for my graduating class. Boom. Okay, here you go. So I did a lot of that and a lot of repetition. And I have the kind of personality that just likes to zone in on it and just make a hundred of something. And then I'm like, Oh, mm. I feel like a success. You know, I just have that kind of, you know, production sensibility and for me, I just wanted to make clays that, you know, were a little bit more unique than what is out there. And, you know, and I started with the ones I really started with were very different, I felt, than what was already out there. And then I began to fill in the gaps. More people were like, oh, I really love this clay. You should make a plain white clay. And I was like, oh, well, I sell three or four plain white clays at, you know, like B-Mix, little loafers. And they were like, but why don't you make one? And I was like, 
well, maybe I will. <laughs> so, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Um, what were the OG Mudwarsh clays? Yeah. Uh, Brown Bear mm-hmm. is definitely an OG, which I love that clay. Um, and, gosh, I'm trying to think back. Uh, Claw Hammer, White Bear. Um, what else? Shell Toey was an early one. Mulholland. Um, I really like mustard colored things. And That's so, the like, Mulholland, right? Is yeah. is more mustard out of the bag. Yeah, and the clay, the clay, the claw hammers are like baby poo color. It's kind of an interesting color, <laughs> and you know, just um, you know, I wasn't sort of saying, well, I'm gonna make the same stuff as everybody else because mm-hmm. I don't know which I don't know what's in their clay, you know, and so I right. just had to pick what I liked about it and hope that other people liked it as well. So, and also like range clay. Oh, go ahead. Oh. No, no, no. Oh, I no. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have been selling clay that most of the a lot of the clays out there are like six to ten, and then people would be like, "Hey, why is my vase leaking?" I was like, "Cause you're using a six to ten clay and your glaze doesn't fit." And they're like, "But why do they say it's vitrified at six? And this was five six years ago before there were fifty thousand clay buddies who were all talking and getting their science on. You know what I mean? They're just like figuring yeah. out tones and they're dialing it in, firing at home. And so for me, I just was like, well, I really, I don't like range bodies. I was like, you should use a cone six. If you're firing a cone six, you should use a cone 10, mm-hmm. you know, if you're firing a cone 10. So that's been something that I've concentrated having the bodies be for specific ranges instead of a all purpose kind yeah. of thing. I, w- I wanted to ask you about that because why, do, why do you think companies offer it that way? I think a lot of it is that most of the companies are 30 to 50 to 70 years old and cone 10 was it. Like yeah. I, so I started Mudworks in 2001. I graduated college in 97. Cone six wasn't even on the radar. The only company that had a line of glazes was Amico had like 12 of those really bright celebration glazes that I don't care for the color uh, and then spectrum. There was nothing else. Yeah. There was no, and I was like, I'm going to build a gas kiln and I'm going to do all this. And then I moved into a city and an apartment and I didn't have five grand to plop a gas kiln down in an apartment. So I was like, okay, I need to get, I need to get figured out. And so Becky was doing cone six. And so she kind of was like, I'm here's what I've been doing. If you want to do other stuff, go for it. And the Mastering Cone 6 Glazes book had just come out, and so it was just kind of like, oh, okay, I could do this in my studio. And so from there, I came up with basic glazes, and what was on the market was basically Cone 10 glazes that people went, oh, okay. I mean, you know, it's kind of vitrified at 6, you know, 4 or 5%. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think Laguna has always kind of had a 5 or a 10. Yeah. But I kind of grew up in, like, high-water standard country, so I don't yeah. know. I think a lot of it is is that it's starting to be vitrified at six, you know, but it's really not. doesn't mean you can't make a nice sculpture out of it, that it won't hold together. But as far as, like, a really tight, functional body, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I have it seems one- like production-wise, they would have to just overhaul, like, call this, you know, 
standard 182.5 or something or 180, you know, so it's like more straightforward that this is actually their cone 5 vitrified or cone 6 vitrified, not the cone 10. Because I feel like that's not educated to people when they're buying clay. Yeah. Like you don't really know a ton about you might have heard vitrification in in school and stuff, but you don't know why it's important necessarily or why it has such a, an important factor when you're creating functional work. So exactly. Um, and so I think over the years I've seen everybody, all the other manufacturers adding a lot of cone, specifically cone five, six bodies to their line, which mm-hmm. are more targeted to be vitrified. And they're very similar to a cone 10 body that they flux down, which is good. Yeah, Yeah, I know when I was in Seattle, uh, Seattle Pottery Supply is the main, you know, the main clay supplier to Seattle. But uh, I think Tacoma's kind of taken over, Tacoma Clay Art Center. And they, Seattle is definitely a 6 to 10 type Mm -hmm. of company. And Jim had been there for years. And then uh, when Tacoma had been there for a long time, but when Quinn came in, you know, I think that it kind of scooted everything. And they have only four to six. Like, I mean, they have cone 10, but, like, they don't have anything that's six to ten. They only have a four to six or a ten, you know? Right. right. So, and that was really nice. And their clay's always vitrified quite nicely as yeah. opposed to Seattle Pottery Supply. Yeah. We have one range clay, and it's called Ranger. Because it's actually what I consider a true range clay. It's less than 2% at 6 and 0.3 at cone 10. You cannot take it to 11. It will blow. It's literally like mm. 6 and 10. So, and I fire it at cone 10 in our little wood kiln all the time. But it has to go in spots I know are um, for that are not going to just go to cone 10. And so whenever I sell it to people, I say... This isn't like a, I'm going to do a cone 13, you know, mm-hmm. cone, cone killer firing and everything is going to be great. No, this is not going to work for you. It's for clay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I have a couple studios that that do both. And I just was like, if you're going to do cone 10 gas, just don't be like 11 and a half, you know, and you'll right. So. That's cool. Okay, I have a question about the clay. I well, and it's interesting to hear you talk about how you really how you like to throw because that is exactly how I like to throw. And um, I recently went to a workshop and he had B mix for the workshop. Laguna B mix. I want to say yes. Okay, because there's like Aardvark <laughs> B-Mix and no, some other B-Mixes. No, I didn't realize there were five different B-Mixes. Yeah, so I want to say it was Laguna B-Mix. And I've been throwing at Rebecca's and using Brown Bear and Turtle, Big Turtle. And then I go to this workshop and I'm like, why? I Oh, I remember the first day of the workshop, I left my bucket because that's what I do at work. I left my bucket and I expected the water to like separate. (laughs) 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 And I got back and I was like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Like, I can't throw with this or I can't because I always like, you know, get put the top water in, you know, in a separate bucket. And then I put the slop water out. And um, so I asked him why they were different. And I imagine, and he was like, I think that there's more um, bentonite in their clays. Is that, so what, 
is how do you make a clay not slippy, I guess, is what I'm asking in a very long way. It just depends. It depends obviously on all the other stuff in it, but it has to do with like particle size and, and the variety of particles and the amount of bentonite for sure. Okay. Um, for me, I don't use a lot of bentonite. I don't have, I don't think I have bentonite in almost anything that isn't white. White clay is like the least plastic shit on the planet. All the good plastic juicy bits in the earth are colored with iron. They just come along with organics, iron, sulfur, and stuff, mm. which which are hidden in buff bodies, brown bodies, red bodies, etc. And they are naturally more plastic. Now, white bodies, to be white, obviously there's no iron, there's gonna be less titanium, there's gonna be less stuff in there. And so it can be very, very, very short. And kaolin is much wider than ball clay. Ball clay is naturally very plastic. Um, and so if you have a very high ball clay body, you don't often need bentonite. Um, but if you have a very high kaolin body, like a porcelain, you got to throw that bentonite in like stupid amounts or there's just, or the clay will just fall apart because you got like kaolin particles. Think of them as like giant, giant flat things and mm -hmm. then you got ball clay particles that are like boogers and the <laughs> boogers hold everything together and the, if you just had water and kale and it just falls apart so um that some companies want to make it so plastic that it's just super plastic um then they just have a certain amount of bentonite in there that okay more than i like i like just enough to be plastic and slippy and have it vacuum well. If your clay is not um, plasticized enough, it, you won't actually get a vacuum. Is that your train horn? That's our third host. It's the train. <laughs> it comes <laughs> once an hour at least. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so night is a big, and tile six, I don't know how familiar you are with tile six, Kaylin. A really poofy, fluffy kaolin that's actually blended with bentonite. So it comes as is already floofed, you know, and then you put, if that has a high percentage in a clay body, you're going to get like a real poofy, slippy thing. So like our white bear is like a, is, is this symbol is like, it's, I didn't design it to be like B-Mix at all. I actually originally designed it to be a freckled, cone five six seven reduction body and and not enough people bought it that people were like mm. i love this clay but it's got black flecks in it because i was using like a dirty kaolin and which flashed really well in reduction and then people were like i'd love to use this if it didn't have flex and i was like shit all right i'll just change it nobody's buying it <laughs> so <laughs> i made it a much whiter cleaner body and so it's of high kaolin, very, very low ball clay, and you make up for the lack of ball clay with bentonite. Because, hmm. like, this much bentonite is has the same effect as, like, 500 pounds of ball clay. So it's, like, wow. like, on, like on steroids. So, like, a like a softball size of bentonite is, is equivalent to the baseball field of... A couple hundred pounds of ball clay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
That's yeah. insane. Well, look at your glaze recipe. How many glaze recipes do you have? Two, no more than 2% bentonite. Right. Or it right. just falls. It increases your shrinkage because it basically, it sees the water molecules around it and goes, I want all of you. And it just sucks up all the water in the room, which is what made your slip bucket a slurry bucket and it didn't separate. <gasps> and that's also why it would cause like warping and like shit, like the thing shrinking. And because I've noticed with B mix, it's harder to get a good handle attachment because it yeah. shrinks and cracks around the handle joints. That's exactly. definitely what I've noticed. Yeah. And so I designed my clays to be just on the edge of plastic enough. Some people who don't like them, they or they say they don't recycle well, is is they use a lot of of water while they're throwing and they throw for a very long time. So they suck all the fine particles off. So all their recycle, all their, their bucket has no fine particles. They poured it all away. And so it's like, you got to mix. Sometimes you have to mix if you want to recycle and get that plasticity, fresh clay and old clay or throw a scoop full of OM4 into your slot bucket or something. You know, mm. that. I just, I really want mine to be on the line of, I can throw this fast and I'm not like covered in shit. And I appreciate you. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> some, people, some people, like when you don't have a high skill level, it can be a challenge with some of them. Mm -hmm. It just depends. Um, but like we have 35, 40 students and they all use our clays. Everybody gets to choose what they want and everybody seems to be pretty happy. I mean, even the intro people. So, yeah, like the Iceman is a really good clay. It's not too. That's what I use. Yeah, I love that clay. It's uh, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I've been with Iceman for a while. and be like, God damn, I need to rip that bitch right up. Oh, you know? oh my God. Like, uh, cause I've been using, I've been using the dark star, which is the Iceman with manganese. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, <laughs> I like weighed out 14 ounces to make a wine glass. And I was like, okay, apparently I only need 12. This is not <laughs> I was like, yeah. what is going on? This is insane. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm just moving up. Uh, like I went from really shitty clay to semi shitty clay. And now I'm, you know, I'm just moving my way up. So. <laughs> it's interesting to see hear, hear all the different intricacies of differences and like you explaining how you throw with the clay and the slippiness. Like I never thought about that. I thought that was just like what you get with that with throwing a white stoneware with no grog. I thought it it was going to be slippy, but there are mm -hmm. properties in the clay. Yeah, grog actually makes your clay shorter. So the more clay, more grog you add, the more the less plastic it gets. That so makes sense. Some people will say oh, I want to make bigger, something bigger, I need to add grog. And it's like, yes and no, it depends on what's in there. It, you know, if you look at our clays, there are not, we don't have a lot of groggy clays. People don't generally like them. I mean, you know, we sell some Iceman with grog, but it's 40 to one without grog, you know? And people, I, I just found that our clientele in particular really like smooth, you know, fast throwing, nice, you know, clays. Whereas I have a friend who owns um, Clay Planet in California in San Jose. He has so much grog in his clay, but his clientele is very cone 10 gas. Um, his cone six, I mean, we sell, I would say 90% of our sales are cone six. If yeah. you exclude school sales to, you know, white earthenware, 
but um, his like 85% cone 10 gas. So it just depends. Like obviously they have more natural gas than they have electricity, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. generate. We have cheap electricity here, so yeah, you know. Wow. I just find that um, like a lot of people think that uh, the speckled turtle and the big turtle have grog in them. Big turtle has a tiny bit of grog. Speckled turtle has none. I've chosen to use toothy fire clays and things like that to fill in for grog um, because I like grog, but you know, I don't, I don't want to throw it in everything ubiquitously because it can make your clay less plastic. Yeah. So do you know what percentage of people are firing oxidation versus reduction? It sounds like with that much um, cone six clays, I would assume most of those are oxidation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know we have a customer mud fire in Georgia. They uh, do some cone six soda, which is pretty cool. And they use a couple different of our clays, a couple of high water clays, I think. Um, and they also do some electric. Uh, but yeah, oh, by and large, it's it's cone six. Even colleges, I've noticed when I first started Mudworks, uh, colleges would order, you know, five pallets of raw materials. They'd make their own clay. They all fired gas reduction or wood. And a lot of them have, have dialed it back to like either cone seven reduction or a lot of, of electric firing oxidation. So interesting. I don't know if it's for the green aspect. It's funny. It's like, it's green as far as electric firing, you know, um, sort of, or the temperature, but like ceramics isn't green. (laughs) People think it is. And I'm like, yeah, you're taking materials (laughs) from the earth and then you're producing it. And there's a lot of waste in there and you're firing it. You're using a lot of electricity. I'm not trying to make people feel bad about it. But it's just, um, you know, it just depends on, I mean, I think making your own dishes as opposed to having things imported from other side of the planet that don't last, I think that in and of itself is both green and satisfying personally. Yeah. As opposed to just disposing of dishes that, you know, came from Pier 1 every couple of years because you don't match your kitchen. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people who make their own stuff keep it until it breaks, you know, so... Yeah, totally. That's crazy. I feel like we can go home now. I feel like we've we've already learned like a ton. (laughs) Did I bore you? Did I send you home? No, No. this is all great stuff. And I was like worried that we didn't have enough or we had all these questions. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to any of these. Um, The question. I had a fun question that um i don't know that either of us know but is gray clay a thing and why is it not a thing yeah i want to know why well i'm working (laughs) on gray clay there is a gray clay standard has a gray clay 201 and it is and it's and it's gray but if you don't like a groggy toothy clay then you might not like it Uh. but it is it is a pretty it's straight gray um so I don't know. I don't know why gray clay. I'm working on a gray clay. I'm working Is on it. Okay. <laughs> He's like, I mean, it's gonna be smooth. We just talked about gray. Right? I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. If you need a product tester. Right. Yeah, I know. I'll send it. Um. I yeah, because I'm working on like really mid-century modern style design right now, like with my pieces and the. Uh, Dark Star is great, but a gray clay, like a gray clay would look so fucking good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Imagine seeing the glaze breaking off and seeing the gray underneath would look good. Uh, or like it depends textures. on how you achieve the gray. You can achieve it like with iron, chromate, or some other stain or something. So it just depends. But yeah. yeah. Uh, gray so because gray glazes. Nobody ever wanted gray until the last five years. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, do you have this in gray? And I was like, no. But everybody wants gray. And now Amico mm -hmm. has like six gray underglazes. And it's just funny. Gray is actually like really, really hard color to achieve in ceramics. Because yeah. there, there are not any mason stains. They call them sage gray. They're actually green or they're blue. You know, or they're or purple. Yeah. Or it's like black ish like partially black added to white so that it's like exactly portion yeah i've been fiddling with like a gray glaze for years and i have two that i like but one that i really like but it's opaque i can't get a gray translucent that i'm happy with um and the other one if it's thinner it's it's blue gray so yeah gray is one of those weird colors that's crazy. I know. Like, I had a gray, mason stain gray glaze, and whenever it got, I want to say whenever it got too hot, it flashed purple. Mm -hmm. And No, maybe maybe it was too cold. If, yeah, it was too cold. It flashed purple. And people are like, this is so great. I'm like, and so unpredictable. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so for another clay, do you know much about flameware? And like what makes it different than other clays with the thermal shock aspect? Yeah. And... It's got so much lithium in it. Ah. And usually in the form of pedalite. So lithium is has a really low thermal expansion. So when you throw it into a fire, it's not gonna go, you know, mm -hmm. it's gonna go, I got this and do its thing. But So it doesn't absorb the heat as quickly, is that the idea it, it does in an even way it, it absorbs it in like an even way and and it doesn't it doesn't expand quickly it, mm -hmm. it absorbs it and allows everything around it in the matrix to to take to do it gently as opposed to crack you know that kind of thing so um lithium's super expensive thanks to tesla as soon as he announced that Elon Musk announced that he uh, was going to make 1,500 electric cars a month like five years ago, lithium went from like $8 a pound to 50 and it hasn't gone oh. down. So you know, lithium is only in certain places. And there's two, as far as I know, I could be wrong, there's two lithium mines. One's owned by Toyota and one's owned by, I don't know, somebody else. Interesting. So, and you can get lithium out of spodumene, which is only like mined off of the coast of Australia, or petalite, which I don't know where petalite comes from. Petalite, I think, is normally what's used in flameware, but it's it's expensive. Like as far as a clay ingredient, something that's two dollars a pound wholesale for my cost to go into clay is like what? You know. So there are a couple people that make flameware, but I'll never do it for liability reasons, just cause. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a way to like properly test to see if you're because sometimes you'll get customers that say, is this OK in the oven? And if you like make a pie plate, is, I assume the main way is to heat it up with the oven and that's the safest way. But how do you like know if it's properly so supposed to? Ovenware 
already flameware are different. Flameware, you can pop that bitch on a, on a flame. You can, like, right. fry egg in it. Ovenware, ovenware's, I mean, there are a couple people who use the big turtle for ovenware. They sell casserole dishes. A couple people around here and there, they have customers who throw it in a hot oven and don't have a problem. I didn't design it that way, per se. Um, but um, you can test it by basically just putting... Um, something, you know, like maybe some water or something cold water into a casserole, throw it into a 400 degree oven and see what happens. Um, part of it is that the clay might be able to handle it, but the, the chosen glaze that you may have chosen, which could be any number of recipes you've made or you've purchased from whoever may not have been tested on that clay body. So that may put enough stress on the clay body that it just pops. So does the higher cone clay withstand it better than a cone six clay? It does. It okay. does. When something's not fully vitrified, it tends to have a little more room to kind of do this. So um, lower absorption helps. And then does like grog factor in or the grittiness? Grog does. Grog, molochite, grog, pyrophyllite, things like that in the clay body help um, any kind of thermal shock, basically. So, gotcha. Yeah. But if you say you made like a a casserole and half the ingredient, and the and the stuff you put in the casserole was warm, you know, you had just sautéed it up and you threw it in there and you put it in the oven, it it might be okay. I think it just really depends. You gotta test it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm always crazy. reluctant. I'm like, I've never tested it, so I wouldn't promise anything. But all best my old stuff. To- Gradually heated up. All my old stuff, I sold pie plates, and nobody's ever had an issue. But, like, also, you know, when you hand it to him, you say, don't put a single potato in this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but I say that because I've literally had that happen. Like, what, my neighbor put a single potato on a plate and put it in the microwave. And he was like, the plate exploded. And I'm like, you put a single potato on the plate in the microwave for seven minutes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm like, of course it exploded. Like, it's not magic. Like, <laughs> uh. I wanted to ask about... Um, the dirty girl tools so you have that as kind of like i kind of see it as like a sister kind of company or like a child company like how did you how did that come about or like you know or how do you keep it like separate or how do you decide to wait wait wait. your kentucky mudworks is the pimp to the dirty girls no like that um it's hard for people to imagine in 2001 like i didn't have an e-commerce website there were not e-commerce websites it was like a photo of the front of my store and an email address and a phone number and (laughs) like that's how it was um and then a lot of that changed you know over the years blah 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 came about lots of e-commerce 
And for me, I was just like, gosh, I'm just this tiny little store and only so many customers and it's local and I've got an e-commerce website, but you know, how am I going to grow my business? And I just looked around and, and I'd gone to several Inseca conferences and it was like five or six tools companies. That was it. Everything was like what I would call a man rib, just this giant, like, you know, huge hands, you know, I'm going to make this giant thing or just your average metal rib. There was nothing other than mud tools. Mud tools had just come out like a year or two before and his tools are dope. Totally awesome. Um, And they were new. It was just the polymer ribs. That was all there was and maybe one or two other things. Um, But there was really, there was, it was a very like, we're here to serve as college professors and this is what you get. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm not okay with that. Because all these tools suck and they've been around for a hundred years and Kemper had the same ribs and they were like, you know, imported copies for half the price of exactly the same tool. And there was nothing that was like really well made and, and mud tools was like, holy shit, quality was like, boom. You yeah, know, you could buy a rib that is $7 yeah. and it'll last you years and years. You don't, it's not a big deal for you to spend it. Yeah, and they're beautiful and they're functional. I was like, so there's room in the market for this. And I was like, you know, I have a couple of things I've been playing with and that I think might be kind of cool. And I had all these students who were like, oh, I'd love to buy some stuff, but there's nothing new. And I was like, well, I'll come up with some. And so I was just like, you know, had like five or six tools that I was like, you know, and at the time I was dating somebody who had a little tiny homemade CNC machine. And I was like, Hey, can you cut this cool ass thing out for me? And he cut a bunch of stuff out for me. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And so I found a company that locally that cuts, they just, all they do is cut shit for people. Cut, cut, cut. They don't care what it is. You give them a drawing, they'll cut it. And you know, they cut rounds of stuff for me. And then I sort of went to my first Inseca and I was like, I hope everybody likes this, you know? And I kind of was gearing it towards um, uh, women because that was like 90% of the people taking my classes. And that was the growing Cone 6 market. And, And it was baby boomers who were like, I have always wanted to take pottery and my kids are out and I'm gonna do whatever fuck I want. (laughs) and let's do this and tools that fit their hands tools that were ergonomic I had a lot of students that had arthritis and so the wire tools that were I mean literally the only wire tool on the market for a hundred fucking years was this 18 inch camper thing that was like a pile of shit not because it wasn't a good tool but once you wrap your finger around it 40 times and it falls apart you know the metal pieces just splay out crimps up and exactly and you're just like well that's crap and you throw it in the trash and i was like well why are we doing this why not just make different sizes let's just do and so i was like oh my god i could make this and and i had a friend who was like you could try thin wire you could try thick wire and i was like yes and so that that's where the the wire tools came from and i just wanted to give it like a fun i wanted it to be fun and kind of not not super you know woman oriented i wanted it to appeal to everybody but i have a really kind of 
thick sense of humor, like, you know, teenage boy meets 50-year-old woman, you know what I mean? Like, just like, fuck it, let's do it. And, uh, you know, so I just come up with fun names and, you know, dirty girls and just because it's it appeals to everybody. Everybody's a little bit like, I'm a dirty girl. Or um, I wish my girlfriend was a dirty girl. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah. kind of, it just plays on the humor of just doing whatever without being like exploitative. You know, it's not like a pair of tits in a bag. You know what I mean? It's I mean, like, unless you unless you Google dirty girls without the pottery tools. tools. My I have a staff member who just started like three or four weeks ago, and she put in dirtygirls.com, and I was like, no! <laughs> like, oh my god. Not on the work Wi-Fi. You gotta add the tools, or you gotta, because I own Dirty Girls tools and pottery tools, and I'd redirect them. And I was just like, gotta stay there. I can't help that (laughs) other one. So, so I just have fun. I name things, you know, with a sort of pseudo-sexual, fun, naughty. You got like the foot fetish. Yeah. That tool, which is to give you like a certain shape foot. Snaggle tooth, gap tooth, you know, just shit like that. You know, I just like to have fun and, uh, you know. You have I the mean, best, oh, you have the best clay names on the market for sure. Oh, thank, I, we had, I wanted to have fun. I just was, basically, I just want to have fun. You know, I want to work hard, but I also want to be entertained. Like, and I just, for me, humor is like, if I'm not laughing, you get the, get the, Whatever that is. You know what I mean? I thought you were going to say get the fuck out of here, but yeah. and I think it, it looks like you're trying to use pot lifters or something yeah. to get something off the wheel. I don't know what you're doing. No, the thing they put the stuff on and then they shock you in the heart attack. Oh, know? the defibrillator. The defibrillator. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I need to be laughing both at myself. I am like super self-deprecating humor. Plus everything just needs to be, you know, uh, fun. And, and it's like, you've only got one chance. You might as well take a chance, you know? So with the, with the clay names, you know, we just started with like Kentucky folklore names, you know? And then, you know, like somebody's grandma that passed away, boom, that clay is named after your grandma. Boom. That's my dog. You know what I mean? It's like things yeah. that have meaning and just are fun. And you remember, for me, it's like like with Laguna, they've got like three names for one clay, and this is not to disparage them; they have wonderful clay. Like WC six oh six number sixteen forty and Miller forty two. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Agreed. Pick a name. Pick Agreed. a name. Or because just numbers or something like a that. A number or name, exactly. Yeah, you like know? standard has numbers, and we got like a few samples of them, and I was like, you can tell. <laughs> I told Rebecca, I was like, you can tell that Kentucky Mud Works is owned by a woman, and standard is owned by a man. Also. <laughs> because they have numbers and you have names, and the, you just you were just like, yeah, this matters. It matters. For me, I don't, I, I don't love part numbers. There's something anti-cubicle about me. And so, like, part numbers make a lot of sense. And a lot of my vendors, like, and customers require, like, I have Dirty Girl Schools part numbers, but I only came up with them out of duress. And I was like, God damn it, all right. I'll give you a price list with part numbers. You know what I mean? But for me, yeah. I just, I don't. 
I just want to say Tony Beaver and go, hee, okay. You know, or like, <laughs> or like white, I just, you know, whatever. Chateau or you know, I just want to say the name and I want that name to be something kind of cool. So I don't know. Yeah. So. I've still got your, uh, your dirty girls, uh, apron. And I oh, wear it yeah. on my videos sometimes, and people oh, see like dirty cool. girl tools, and they'll be like, "Oh, I like your apron." Oh, cool! Because you gave to that to me a couple of years ago in Sika. I feel like, did you wash it and it shrank a lot, or? Uh, no, it's fine. I mean, I've okay. got like five aprons. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Ryan is literally like two inches wide. He's like he wouldn't even <laughs> know if it shrank. Like he's so tiny, <laughs> in the best way possible, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, uh, I'm always on the search for a good apron, and they always, it's like I can never get the same apron when we go to print them again. Mm. But we do have a limited edition t-shirt coming out, which is pretty cool. Ooh. Yeah, I always like your t-shirts when they come out, like the drop it like it's hot with the cones, yeah. like that's fun, and then. Yeah, our next one's pretty cute. It'll probably drop next week, next month, next month. Nice. So, we just try to have fun, and, um, you know, basically. Basically, Wait. it's like I, I, in, I think, I feel like 2004, 2005 was my first in Sika. It was Indianapolis, whenever that was, could have been six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have no idea. Um, but I, I went there and it was like, and this is not a, a, a dig on old white dudes, but it was literally like an old white man parade as far as like the business owners there. And it was like, this is what we have to present and this is how we present it. Okay. Like a polo shirt crowd kind of thing. Kind of, just kind of like, this is how we've done it for 30 years. And that's it. And I was just like, this is not gonna work for like what's happening. Cause y'all have no idea what's happening. You know what I mean? It because, mm-hmm. but part of it, and I and I understand, is that it was started as an as a professional like conference for professors, teachers, vendors, presenters that were on a like an academic level, which mm-hmm. totally is fine. But what was coming was a 15-year storm of baby boomer females. Um, uh, whatever hipster millennial, I don't know what to call it. I have no idea. I don't want to insult anybody. Just younger people. No, like younger people. College who, students and graduates who, and who had a, an income and a drive to be self-employed in their twenties. You know yeah. What I mean? The majority of businesses in our industry are multi-generational. Yeah. And and so it's just like, we make this, we sell it. We make this, we sell it. We might do something new every decade. And I'm like, bitch, I need new every three weeks. Or, ugh. you know, I was like, there is so much. I just, let's do this. So yeah. Me, you know, I'm happy with what's going on as far as like the entrepreneurial spirit that's happening in our industry. I think it's great, you know, Yeah. Like, without social media and, you know, e-commerce websites, it would be pfft, you know, so, I mean, it's so strong. And I think that some companies have adapted quickly and some are just like, oh, we'll be here when it's all over. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it just depends. So I definitely, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Like I love dirty girls tools and, and I definitely think that 
had you not like come into the market, we would we would still be in the same place, honestly. Like the only other tool person that came, I don't know. I'm sure there's other ones, but like the only other one that I can really think of is Garrity, and he's yeah. like he makes his own, and he's amazing. Um, but like. <sighs> We just, we just, I feel like we have a tool desert (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and the, the tools that they have, like I was talking, I don't know if you know, Bear, um, Bear Ullman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was talking to him and he was like, there are so many, like he goes, pottery tools are so behind because he does woodworking. Like he does, um, spinning, uh, wood turning, wood turning. Yeah. The way. And he was like. The fact that you guys can't figure out a chuck <laughs> that like, you know, like the fact that you guys are way over here and wood turning is like 15 years ahead of you. How is this even possible? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we have a tendency to um, think that the past is the only way to, to, to move our future. So. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's definitely changing. You know? Yeah. I think that especially with the social media and the contact that people have and the exposure that people who are who use social media to innovate and to see each other's work and to market their work, it's changing faster than it it did. It took it like 10 years of change is like a year now you know, when mm-hmm. I first started. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, for me, my tool line, I do like, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's like, if you want to make this exact thing, here's the tool for it. For me, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want everybody to make the same shit. I want to make tools that last, that are quality, that do something for you. Great. So that you can make your own work. I'm yeah. not like. I'm not like uh, you want that utility tool that like you're gonna go to that does a, a couple yeah. different things really well. A five and one. Exactly. And like I don't want you to just put my tool up against your pot and have it be what the tool is, because then everybody can make it. And I'm not disparaging people whose tools are like that. That's just not me. For yeah. me, like my faceting tool, people are like, "What can you do with it?" And I'm like, "Fucking anything. You can cut your." Butt with it I don't care <laughs> you know what I mean? and it's like whatever at the cheese yeah um <laughs> so um yeah I just I want to like expand what you can do by giving you tools that make you go what the fuck is this is dope what the fuck is this you know what I mean like this tool is beautiful and well made like we make everything in-house in in like, and I love, I have a huge pride of manufacturing and this is not like some xenophobic, I don't like imported stuff. For me, part of my joy of owning a business is that I employ people who like to come to work and who are like, I like making this shit. This is fucking cool. And so we source, we source our ingredients in America because those things are giving people jobs and please don't let this sound like some kind of political statement. It's genuinely not. It's absolutely just, if you have a job putting together this weird ass um, clay faceting tool, 
that's way cooler than working in a gas station potentially. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And my ability to control what goes into my products depends on me being able to get it. And a lot of that is it being domestic, you know? And then if I buy this thing from a domestic company, they're employing people and it, and it's all paying into the same kitty. It's not that I don't, I mean, I sell tools that are made in lots of different countries and they're all wonderful. If they're good quality, I'll sell it. But for mm-hmm. me, it's been important that I need it to last. I mean, there's a certain amount of like a trim tool is only going to last so long. Boom, done, you know, but like our, our faceting tools, the tool itself will last you 20, 30, I don't even know. The wire, we make it replaceable. You don't have to throw it away and buy yeah. a tool. You just buy a replacement wire. And for me, it's like I like to design things that are sourced locally. It's just a control issue. You know, it's like, hey, buddy, this sucks. I need you to fix it. And they're like five hours away as opposed to... I don't know where they are or where it comes from. You know what I mean? And there's other well, factors that could come up that are outside of like an immediate control. Like if it's COVID and you can't import anything, then you're, that's a. Then your business model is fucked. And I, yeah. and years ago I was like, I want to give people jobs. I want a job. And part of that is making, if we're a community of makers and it's important that we make a living making our work it's also important that the people making the things that we make make a living and i Mm -hmm. felt that way for a really long time and you know it it works and it doesn't work it just depends on your product your like garrity tools they make their stuff they are all local making that they're probably sourcing their cherry wood locally because it's not like cherry grows everywhere and they have a lot you know a lot of pride making that work you know, and, and, you know, it's for me, I'd rather, I personally would rather be smaller and doing that than be everybody's everything, you know, mm-hmm. have to outsource. I'm just not brave enough to outsource. You know, if I can't re- yeah. reach out, grab you and be like, my shipment is crap. I'm going to come to your house and shit on your dinner. Gave <laughs> <laughs> you $20,000. Where is my stuff? The stuff is messed. I'll get upset. And I just, you know, that's my personal theory. You need to threaten people in your time zone. That's... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I mean, for a lot of it for me is that like COVID has shown me, uh, we have had some material shortages, but it, they were all American manufacturers that just had shortages because they didn't have the staff that supply chain is crucial and especially for a tiny sub microscopic business like mine in the view of the world is that the most control you have on your bottom line and my ability to, to keep the same paycheck in the hands of my employees is that I can control my supply chain, which keeps it closer to me, which makes it more expensive, but I feel better about it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, um, I feel like this is important for people to know it's a sad thing or frustrating thing, but I, um, two things have happened with two companies, right. In the past couple of months, Mm -hmm. right. The fire and, uh, talc. Can you talk about those? (laughs) Yes. Uh, She's shooting herself in the head right now. So talc. 
<laughs> I'm looking wistfully off into the distance to the land of easier times. So, basically, uh, American Talc was a family-owned company in southern Texas that sold to, that provided talc to mostly the West Coast for the last bajillion years. Mm-hmm. And so, everybody in the West um, has been using Texas talc for years. In the East, everybody was using Vanderbilt talc, which had the lawsuit, which then closed the mine, and then everybody went to American talc. And then that was that, Johnson and Johnson, right? I, R.T. Vanderbilt. R. I don't know anything okay. about Johnson. I don't know which talc they use. I know it was R.T. Vanderbilt, okay. which was a uh, Van uh, talc or something. I don't. I can't remember. Um, Nye talc. That's Nye talc. So. Um, everybody was using American talc for a decade and it's been great. And then Dow Tile, biggest tile manufacturer on the face of the earth, buys the mine. And this is all on the border of Texas and Mexico, where apparently this deposit is. They have a factory. Dow Tile was the largest customer for American talc. That gray talc that fires bright white is the only talc in America that fires that white. And so they purchased it three or four years ago. And I noticed it one day I got my bill of lading when the truckload, 40,000 pounds of talc came in and it said that it came from Dow Tile. I was like, oh, fuck. nobody told me that they got bought. And I was like, I don't know about this. Because usually in our industry, when a big company buys a small company, shit's going down. Shit's changing, NC4, Feldspar's gone, G200's gone, shit like that. Boom, boom, boom. It doesn't make us enough money by, you know. So I was like, okay, great. Something's going to happen. Four or five years later, uh, Dow Tile has some kind of corporate meeting and it's like, oh, my gosh, this makes us no money. We're losing money reselling this talc. We really only use it for ourselves. Um and so we're just going to fucking keep it and y'all can't have it anymore. So they sent out a letter that said, Hey, in eight weeks, we're going to close the mine. If you want anything, just buy it now. Literally Jeez. every single pound of low fire white earthenware with talc and every single low fire slip cast product has that fucking talc in it in America. And we all had eight weeks to just fucking shit or get off the pot. Oh, and my God. Label, I private label clays for other companies and products, and I was like, fuck. And so, you know, uh, we all just got in line and bought a couple years' worth of product because they normally when a, when a mine closes or they discontinue a product, you get like six months or a year so that you can reformulate. Delta was like... Oh my gosh. What they were like. And it was like, oh my God. So I ordered five truckloads and was just like. And when was that? Eight weeks? Like, when did that happen? February, uh, into January. And I got like five truckloads March and April. Boom, 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 boom. You know, a whole bunch of money I wasn't planning to just throw into a container and sit on, you know, 30 grand or whatever, et cetera, because I don't have time to reformulate. Right in away. that amount of time, yeah. 
white earthenware, and if you know anything about earthenware, it's not really clay. It's like, you know, it's got to fit glaze. Like the whole point of earthenware is it needs to glaze and clay fit. And so you have to spend a huge amount of time reformulating to make sure it fits all commercial low-fire glazes and all this stuff. I mean, we're talking six months to a year of R&D that I haven't done because I was just like, I'm just going to buy what I need and deal with it later. <laughs> <laughs> so freak out. And so that happened, and they're, they've closed April 21st. They're like, bye. And so they just keep the product for themselves. Part of it is that they get the product out of the ground in chunks, and Dow Tile was processing it in their own facility. Their milling operation is what closed, taking mm. that chunk and turning it into a beautiful powder that they could sell to people. So there's other talc mines in America that a, a bunch of people have gotten, um, you know, samples from. I've gotten a couple samples. I haven't even opened the box because I'm like not even ready to deal with it. And uh, but they cost so much more, so much more. So for me, I don't understand why Dow Tile didn't go, hey, this isn't making us any money. We need to double the price. I've been like, here's my check. I'll pay twice as much as long as I don't have to change my product. But they yeah. Just, they just decided the whole operation wasn't worth it. It was very, it's a very corporate decision, which is like above my pay grade. Fine. Um, so the other industries service paint and coatings and shit like that. And they, they cost more. So there's going to be an increase and there's just going to be, you know, a lot of people will have to have talc because there's talc in people's glazes and stuff like that. So I have to do R and D on my own so that I can, you call and say, Hey, what talc do you have? And what the fuck's are going to do in my glaze? And I go, well, I think it's going to do this, you know, that kind of thing. Here's, yeah. right. here's a one pound sample, try it out. You know what I mean? So that was really kind of shitty. Um, so yeah. That's talc. And uh, as far as the grog factory, they had a fire in their control room. There's only a couple places that make grog in America. One of them is Christie Minerals. Another one is Mulcoa that's owned by Emerus, and that's in Georgia. And they had a fire in their control room, which shut down endless amounts of production, kilns, and everything. And they went into what's called force majeure, where they just don't take any orders. They only deal with in-house orders and they only give you what they feel like they can give you. And they had to fix stuff and it's still not up and running completely. Like, so I have to get grog from another company and maybe it's the same, maybe it's not. Do I make the clay or am I out of stock? I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, I never thought this was going to happen, but yeah. <laughs> Glad it did. <laughs> and I thought 2020 fucking sucked. Wow. 2021 is actually like, are you fucking kidding me? Like last year was like, oh my fucking God. That was what I said last year. <laughs> this year I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's what I say. Like, really? That's, that's like my go-to phrase. You know, like, oh, okay. Add that to the list. You know, like it's more of a supply chain. This year is like supply chain aftershocks. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you all have a big increase in business with people having home studios during COVID? We did, actually. We did. Um, and we made it through pretty well because we had a good online website that was already in place. And I feel like places that had a 
good, easy, quick e-commerce websites um, quickly. Their clientele grew quickly. And um, offering the delivered price on clay was huge. People don't have to worry about how much it's going to cost for shipping. It's like, boom, $50 at my door. Done. You know? And I think a lot of smaller places or places that had more of antiquated e-commerce struggled a lot. Mm -hmm. Or people that relied overly on schools. So... Right, because kids aren't in school. They're not using the clay, so they don't... And that was it, is that it was like, well, hands-on. There were some clay-at-home kits, and a lot of people did that with success. We thought about it, and then I was like, our e-commerce kind of took off. That I was just like, I don't have time to deal with it. Uh." So we didn't do a lot of clay-at-home kits. We did help some teachers out by doing some kits. Um, But for the most part, in Kentucky, schools were just like, boop, off, done. You know, they might have couple of projects but really not a lot um so so yeah that's crazy yeah because some businesses did like really well during covid and others just basically stand still and just basically took the year off Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, I think it, I think being able to adapt and just have I mean, you can't know that something like that's going to happen, but having yeah. the pieces in place to, you know, like you said the domestic having things in house and having people that you can employ that can come into work and like you have the space to like okay, we're just going to have you set up over here and then we're going to be over here and Yeah, for a work. while for a while it was only 3 of us in a 20,000 square foot warehouse, so it was like, "Hey, you know." <laughs> the fear of catching COVID from each other. Cause it was like, Hey, you're way over there. I'm way over here. Yeah. You know, if you, if we've got work to do, let's do it. I can't, I told my staff, I did have to let some people go because I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, you know? And so they got unemployment. I was like, take that unemployment, make it work. You know, I'll call you if shit changes. And several of the people I did hire back and some people moved on to other stuff. And it was really just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but the people I did, uh, that did stay on, I was like, I can't force you to come to work, but if you want to come to work, I'll pay you and there's work to be done. And so my clay maker and my dirty girls tool, uh, maker in my, and I showed up and it was us for like three or four or five months and, um, you know, just getting, getting through it and building the e-commerce, lots of curbside, I think the key is diversification. And I yeah. think that, that was something I learned really, really early. Like when I first started in 2001, I was teaching classes and they were eight week sessions. So I had like income every eight weeks, which sounded like a great idea until I had to spread that shit out. And it was not right. spread. It wasn't spreading well. And then I had like art fairs in between and it was like, I, at the time I was making like Japanese tableware and like fucking sake sets and like little sushi dishes. And people in Kentucky were like, what's this? And I was like, oh my God. They're like, why isn't it round? They're like, why isn't it round? I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know what to say. You know, and my work just, my work just didn't take off in a large commercial, you know, kind of way. And I was like, this isn't going to work for me. So that's when I started selling stuff to kind of fill the gaps. And then once I was selling stuff, I was like, oh, we'll make tools. Okay, that fills the gap. Oh, we'll make clay and I'll make glaze, you know, and just diversified. I've got wholesale income, retail income, classes, you know, just kind of 
Do you have studio rental there? Can Do you have students that can actually rent time and space there? Yeah, like during our business hours, anybody can buy like a pass to, to do it. But if you want like 24-7 rental, since it's a community studio, you have to be like a trusted person that's been around for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. There's about five or six people, mostly because it's not huge at all. I mean, yeah, the like, space with the wheels and the, yeah. the hand building room is not really huge. Smaller. Yeah, like... And it's not like like Queen City is a good comparison. Their business model is huge on education, like 20,000 square feet of studio, studio rental, classes. We just can't fill that. Lexington doesn't have that volume of people like Cincinnati. And that volume of people with any kind of income that can support that over. You know what I mean? Yeah. At that level, you know, so... For me, I got into e-commerce early in order to grow my business. And, you know, we'll never have 150 or students or whatever he has, which is awesome. Right. And your space at at the place you have now is all of that education space at Queen City Clay is your backstock area where you have clay storage and you make the clay and you have the glaze storage and all the material. Like, that's that's what all that square footage is for. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. Nice. Can uh, you now? I'm now because you were talking about talc, and now I'm kind of curious um, what your answer to this is. Can you? Uh, somebody asked, can you describe the difference between stoneware, earthenware, and porcelain? Mm-hmm. Like, do you mean on like a molecular level or on like a texture? Maybe level? just they follow it up with when to use each and what firing oh. temperatures for each. Oh. So that's kind of where they're coming from. It like, oh yeah. In what situation okay. would they use it? I mean, I'm all down for the molecular, but that's fine. <laughs> earthenware is like a, generally like a low fire, 04, 06. And it's, if I think it first started based on like myolica ware from Italy, where you can, and, and Mexico, where you can paint really brightly colored, true color uh, things on your pottery and not have them move. Mm-hmm. Because the glaze and the clay don't actually interact. They just kind of stick to each other. Okay. It's got a porous body and and a glaze that lays on it perfectly. And then you've got, so if you wanted to do something that's going to be outside, I wouldn't do earthenware because it's going to soak up water like a terracotta pot. And, mm-hmm. and in, then in the winter, it's going to, you know, break. Um but if you want something that's got bright colors, you got lettering and writing that doesn't move or shift, um, then then earthenware is your is your jam. Uh, Midfire is like stoneware. Like porcelain, you can have both temperatures. Porcelain has to do with the the clay body that you use. Like are the kaolin? Is it a porcelain meaning like zero iron, zero mm-hmm. iron, super white? And porcelains are generally zero porosity whenever they're um, vitrified. Like, you don't even need to glaze it. You can eat out of that bitch, and it's not going to stain, and it's just perfectly uh, vitrified, and it's almost got a sheen, a cone 10 or cone 6. That's sort of a true porcelain. Stoneware is, like, when you get to use fire clay and, like, things with tooth and things with iron, things that are more plastic and that kind of thing. And you can do that at both cone six and cone 10. Mm-hmm. 
Is that a good explanation? Yeah, I feel that like was, stoneware is kind of great. the go-to for most people these days. Yeah. Is that has that like, been a go-to for the most part? You were talking about like 30 years ago, there was a lot more gas firing and stuff. Is is that still considered stoneware that people were using at gas? Yeah. I guess it's still stoneware. Yeah. Yeah. Stoneware is like a utilitarian kind of clay, kind of a do-all, throw it, hand-build it, do whatever. Porcelain is real finicky. As you guys know, it's just like, well, I wish there's handles stayed on but never mind (laughs) wow that was round (laughs) great (laughs) thanks thanks for that i I thought i had some skill but never mind whatever yeah (laughs) yeah i feel like yeah i feel I feel like porcelain's if if porcelain was like a personality, they'd be like the most shallow human being in the whole head world. Head cheerleader. Head cheerleader. Yes. <laughs> Not to insult the head cheerleaders out there, but we're just gonna go with the stereotype. Yeah, we'll go with the Hollywood stereotype of a head cheerleader. Beautiful. Like porcelain's the kind of thing that you look at and you're like. It's just beautiful. You touch it and it's like silk. And it's just glazes glisten and glow on it. But then when you like take it on a date, you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I pay? Why did I pay for dinner? God. It's at five hours. <laughs> It just keeps talking to me. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so true. As the probably, I don't. Uh, you know, Ryan doesn't use porcelain very much. I have never used porcelain. I still have a box of standard 365 in my studio. I don't even want to know what it looks like. Girl, I've had it in there for like seven in, years. What is that? The NZ, the like the New Zealand stuff. I love that stuff. <sighs> it's oh, it's. Oh, it's such a bitch. I had a student that was very, very talented, like so, so talented. And she was, um, she, uh, she wasn't really a student, but uh, anyway, she was like super finicky and like she was the HR or not the HR, the, um, quality and control at her job. And so like, that's just like the personality type she was. And she was using the New Zealand porcelain and, I have never seen anybody conquer porcelain like this woman did. And she's like just phenomenal. She like that she only used the New Zealand stuff. And for those who don't know, it's like pure white. It is like it's translucent. So when you try put a light in your cup, it like blows outside. Yeah. The only thing that she didn't really get was the glazes because my glazes ran like a motherfucker on them because Yes. Yeah. Because you, it will, so like that stuff is super cool. Actually, not clay. People, they, we call it a kaolin, but it's not. It's like this weird tube in it, and it's got like s- huge spaces in between, and you have to fill that with plasticizer and other kaolins. So okay. it's really prone, it's really prone to crack. It has zero titanium, which is what makes porcelains opaque. So that's why it glow, it just glows. And, but it's a bitch, man, to fill in those gaps and make it, make it plastic enough to work with, but not fall over. And, and you got to flux the hell out of it because it's like, you know, cone 18 or something that it matures at by itself. So yeah, when you put a glaze on it, you're like, well, that's all over the shelf. You know I mean? It's different. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but it's it's beautiful and seductive at the same time. Yeah. But generally, twenty percent of the shit I make out of like our white lightning, <clears throat> you know, oh, oh, you know, margin of error. Coda, I made Coda is to me an improved white lightning. It's not as translucent, but it's hella translucent. But it's way more forgiving. Cause I was like, I just can't take this disappointment anymore. I just can't handle it. You know, <laughs> fuck, you know? So. Yeah. I would, I like part of me really wants to go to a porcelain again, but the other part of me that's like knows how much it warps is like, nah. Yeah. For me, it's like the, just the random cracking. What do you mean? It took me a week to get these to dry. Oh, we don't care. <clears throat> you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, and it's like, people will email me and ask, and I'm just like, God, I just can't, I just can't tell you that it's like not predictable. There's no real scientific way to explain why. All porcelains, you get a porcelain from one company and another company, it's all so different. And it's just, it's, it has such a mind of its own, you know? I think you need a, I think, I think you need to like really grant, like really, um, just tell everybody about the cheerleader situation and be like, here's the deal. Like, you know, my porcelain is like the head cheerleader at K, you know, Kentucky university. Whereas like, you know, university uh, of Kentucky, get it right, Becca. I'm sorry. Whereas, whereas, you know, this, the, you know, Colorado's porcelain is like their head cheerleader. And so they clearly (laughs) not the same. They're not the same. <laughs> They're unpredictable. <laughs> one could be a cowboy and one, one could not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's some uh, there's some other questions about some darker clays. So you have okay. brown bear is the one that comes to mind, but um, they're asking about thoughts about very dark clays that contain manganese and like the safety of using them and firing them. So can you kind of speak about that? And I'm guessing the brown bear has manganese or it I don't does. know about manganese. Yeah, it actually has less than 2% manganese. So it's not as high manganese as people think that's what makes it brown when it's wet. It's actually, good. We should talk about why, um, first, before we get into how much it has, like why does why is manganese, what is it? Is it harmful? Like what's the... Mm-hmm. So if you like, if you look at SDS sheets, the number one hazard, like level 12 panic button shit is silica. Mm -hmm. So that's absolutely the most important um, thing that's literally in every single thing that we work with. That's the single most harmful thing. So that's considered, I think, OSHA, like a schedule one Mm -hmm. uh, hazard. And uh, manganese is a schedule four. Okay. So it's lower down as far as the threats, but they're different. Um, silica, as you know, is dry form is, is, you know, that's the issue. Sanding, sweeping your studio, dry, any kind of dry work, mixing your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, manganese is... Um, is a fume hazard actually when it's firing. Okay. So, uh, dust and the dust as well. You don't want, uh, to have like a pile of manganese and just be like, ah, you know, throwing it in your face, you know, as far as the dust goes. But if you think about it, uh, the majority, so you have to weigh 
what's in your, the percentage of what's in what you're using. So like 60% of basically everything has silica in it. So you're talking yeah. high level glazes, clay, everything. And um, because it's, it's almost every ingredient is a silicate, you know, aluminosilicate, magnesium silicate. There's just, there's silica in everything. It's actually, I think like the most abundant part of the earth or something, that and iron. Um, and then manganese is, say it's like two, less than 2% in a, in a clay body. So you've got a pound of clay and you've got, you know, a hundred grams, you've got two grams. Right. 2%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two grams of raw manganese in there. And so you just have to realize that that is, you don't want to sand it. You don't want to just, a du it's a dust hazard. And then when you're firing it, you want to vent your kilns or not be there. Like we fire at night and we have like a, you know, right above, hood. Uh, we don't have a hood because we're in a giant warehouse, but right above our kilns is like these giant louvered fans mm. and it just versus into this giant warehouse. And we fire at night. And so by the end of the day, by the next morning, you know, we open up stuff and, you know, recirculate the air. But if you're like my little studio that I'm in right now, it's, you know, 15 by 20, and then I've got a little kiln room, I've got a vent fan that when I'm firing, you know, anything with speckles or manganese, um, then it is, it's leaving while I'm firing. And it's also so fucking hot in here, I don't usually hang out, you know, right. even with air conditioning. So um, I think a lot of it, I don't want to say it's blown out of proportion because I think studio cleanliness is essential, but I don't think people should be scared to mm. use these things. I, I had a lady who was like, oh, Ed and Sika, who was like, oh, I can't have manganese in my house because I have a small child. I was like, you've got a studio in your bedroom, in your spare bedroom, and you have a kid, and you're worried about manganese, and there's silica everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. I was just like, you. I was like, boo, you've got to gauge that. You know, if you're cleaning up your clay dust, you're cleaning up that manganese dust at the same time, you know? Yeah. So it's just really important. Um, and it, I mean, if you're firing it, you've got to vent it or have it in an outside building or a garage or somewhere where you're not working at exactly the same time as an unvented kiln. Um, and that's what the SDS sheets say, basically. There's a whole lot of sciencey shit on there, but that's basically what they say. So that's not one of the, how does that differ? What are the materials that are the whole, like you don't want to absorb them through your skin? Is that, That's more like stains and stuff, right? That's more like, I don't know, actually, if it stains. I, I think, feel like I see people throw with, like, colored porcelain, and they wear the gloves and stuff. Is that, like, um, I'm forgetting what the word is. It starts with an I. It's, like, an emulsion red or, like. I don't know. Iodine? No, there's some kind of, like, <laughs> it, maybe it's encapsulated is what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, the cadmium like, encapsulated stains, those are, like, bright colors, but those are cadmium that's actually bound in a chemical matrix and it's not going to come out. So that's how you get um, like reds and yellows and oranges real bright. For people who are like, well, like brown bear, it'll like stain your fingernails because the iron is the, it's a huge right. amount. And we use iron bearing ball clays and red ball clays and red. There's just a lot of, there's so much more iron in there than actual manganese. Yeah. That, that people just, that's like a trigger word for people. And it's like, really, iron is actually 
on the SDS sheet as well as you should vent your kiln if you have a huge amount of iron in your clay body. Um, so I, I don't know if, if uh, like I know black stain, like I, I, I know SiO2 has some colored clay bodies and I think that they stain your like cuticles and stuff. But I don't sell them. But it's not this. It's not a risk. Manganese is not a risk from like absorbing in the skin. Where when you're throwing with, it's not. Yeah. No, it is not soluble. Things that are soluble are lithium and uh, what else? Lithium, boron, things like that are soluble, and they're, you know, there's not a lot of lithium in clay bodies except for like flameware, but. I don't know. I don't actually know enough about flameware in a clay body, like the lithium the percentages right. and stuff. Yeah, I think it's more like um, lithium in glazes. If it makes them soft, they they are they can be soft, which will then leach and then do a thing. Where if you're like I grew up in college and I was like stir with your arm, you know, I store barium glazes with my arm and stuff like that. And you're still alive. I know. I'm not saying you should do it. <laughs> but we don't use barium for anything um, uh, in any glazes, um, but we do sell it. But <clears throat> but yeah, it's um it's not it's not doesn't absorb through your flesh at all. It's not like that. So like if so like if I have a speckled clay bodied cup that's fully fired and it's glazed on the inside, but not the outside, that's fine. Oh, absolutely, because yeah. that granular manganese and it's actually melted and it's part of the clay matrix mm -hmm. you're not going to be there's I mean I think I've read the SDS sheet like a thousand times I could be completely wrong but there's no like it's not soluble it's not going to go yeah. into into you and, and do anything like that if you ate like a spoonful of manganese that's probably like a really bad fucking idea but <laughs> don't do that right yeah so, but as far as like absorbing through your skin now, huh? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, some, some of those other clays, like I, I've heard that the, the brown bear has a potential to bloat more. Um, and, and about the, or they, somebody asked about firing dark iron stonewares and bloating and preventing it. So is there a best practice for firing some of those clay bodies that have high uh -oh. iron? I, I have used the Cassius clay or black, whatever it's called from Artwork, mm -hmm. and 266, and I don't know what's in them, per or se. Or 266 is what I was thinking of, probably, not yeah. the brown bear. But uh, those have, I used to use 266 as a production body, and I enjoyed throwing it. I didn't like the white flex, personally. Um, I think it's a fire clay or something in there. But it bloated on me inconsistently. I think it has a very uh, finite firing temperature, and I don't. Again, I don't know what's in it, but I think it. Um, they t and Cassius clay or whatever it's called, dark black. Something. The black one. Yeah, from Ardvark. I don't know what um, it's. Uh, what's in that as well? But it is. Um, it bloated as well uh, on me, and and it didn't like glazes very much. No, like, it hates glazes. Like two or three glazes that worked with it. The clay itself was gorgeous. Yeah. But I just never found anything that worked with it literally, and um, 
I'm guessing it has to do with what's in it. But for me, brown bear, uh, I wanted it to not be a bloating issue, which I have not found to be an issue at all. Like you can, I don't recommend fast firing anything that's truly vitrified at your five or six or seven. So you should slow fire. Um, cause anything that's truly vitrified at like five, six, seven is starting to vitrify at like three and four. So if you're a rocket through those temperatures, you're just capturing gases. And so you can, you can make that happen by firing too quickly. Um, but brown bear, I haven't had any real reports of any bloating. If anything, it, it only likes glossy glazes or it likes glazes that like to, that will lay down because again, the amount of iron. And it's not the manganese, it's the amount of iron coming out of, of that glaze. It's just so much gas. I mean, the manganese, cone five, six is like a sweet spot for manganese. It really just kind of goes, okay, I'm going to melt them. And yeah. it's beautiful at that point. And that does let off gases. And matte glazes no, don't heal over. So they just don't, it's just not a thing. And we have, like, oh, sorry. No. Oh, we had the, uh, we were making some plates and we had them bloat, but we're a fast fire situation. Uh, Well, I mean, it was just a few and they, they got too hot. They really, they just got too hot. But, um, yeah, I find that in brown bear, it moves a lot. It almost moves like a porcelain. It warps a little. It it can. Yeah. Yeah. It's very smooth, very buttery, a lot like the shell toey. And mm-hmm. I kind of like that. So. Yeah. Oh, I love I love throwing with it. It's great. But yeah. So it sounds like yeah. a medium great. firing or a slow is kind yeah. of a, a way to counteract some of the bloating and not not going to like cone seven if it's a cone five six clay. Yeah. Yeah. And also bisking it at an oh. appropriate rate as well. Yeah. I we bisked at 06. We've always just everything at 06 because I'm kind of like, oh, 607 should be plenty. But I'm learning that there are some commercial glazes out there that become liquid. They begin to liquefy like 06 and 05, even though they're a cone 6 glaze. And they trap the like organic gas things that are in your clay body that if you haven't bisked over 04 or 204, you get pinholes like a son of a bitch. What and, the uh, fuck? Yeah. No, I've been learning that. And I, cause I didn't know. And it's mostly Amico and it's not a fault of the glaze or a fault of the clay. It's a compatible, it's a, it's a, it's learning what's going on with the two items. For me, I've always encouraged people, oh, biscuit 0607, cause our line of glazes, it, it we they don't even become glossy until like four and a half you know? yeah i mean so i thought that was normal so i've never had a pinhole hmm. single one of my glazes and then in the last you know couple of years as our glaze our clay bodies have become more popular they're getting further out in the market and people are using more different brands of glazes with them i'm getting reports of oh pinholing this pinholing that and uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never thought to think of like the glaze part. That so it sounds well, like when they're getting up to 04 or 06 or whatever, it's like absorbing some of the glaze. Well, it's like the surface tension. So that and I called my friend at Amico. I was like, "What is going on? I've been doing this for 20 fucking years. 
what am I doing wrong? There's nothing wrong with my clay. There's nothing wrong with your glaze. What's going on? And a lot of it has to do with the combos. The combos is the biggest thing. This over this over this over this. And you got 50 fucking layers of shit on your pot. And it looks beautiful, but you've got this layer of liquid shit on top of your clay. And if you apparently haven't burned out a sufficient amount of organics, that's all going to get trapped over this layer. Oh, okay. There's still organics coming out of the clay between 06 and 04 is what you're saying. Exactly. And if those glazes are liquefying, they create, they're creating a surface tension that's keeping that shit in. It's then turning into a crater. And I mean, crater, I don't mean little tiny pinhole. I mean like, you know, crater, um, in the glaze firing. And so I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that. And a lot of that has to do with just some companies will, will test their glazes on their own clays and clays. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's so many iterations. They can't test everything. Exactly. And so it's been a learning process for me. And a lot of it has to do with communicating with other companies. Like, Hey, what's going on? I love your glaze, but it looks like shit on this clay. What, what can I do? You know, that is insane. I think that's a good proponent for just the makers need to be testing stuff anyways and figuring out what's going on. Because some people just can't answer those questions without knowing the intricacies of your process. Exactly. And for me, I designed our our line of glazes 16, 17 years ago when I started and it's grown. But it was on, I didn't make clay then. It was on standard Laguna and high water. And so my glazes lay down on anything because mm-hmm. they're cone six glaze. Slap that shit on, that shit fires, boom, you're done. But that's my that's my technology because those are the recipes I started with, you know. And so I don't I have no idea what's in other companies' you know glaze recipes. So it's I've, for me it's been a very interesting learning process. So that's crazy. And explaining that to the end user is like, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. This, this is the thing, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, you weren't Ryan, weren't you bisking to like 08 for the longest? I was bisking time? to 08 because that's what we did at in college. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. And I don't know if that was a time-saving thing or the yeah. clay that they used could withstand it or what. But my my point is is that for for people that make glazes that that require an 04 bisque. You're you're assuming that the end user of your glaze has control over the bisque temperature. And mm. if you bring your pots to my studio, I'm going to throw those bitches in an 06 or an 05 because that's what we do. Yeah. And so you buy a commercial glaze of any other manufacturer and you put it on there and you could get pinholes. So, you know... That's my point is, is that you can't assume you, I don't know. I don't want to engineer a product that only works in one way, except I, I make clay, clay bodies that need to be slow fired, you know? So I get yeah. the I, you know, thing, but I think now that people are using lots of different brands overlapping each other, that, that we're kind of getting to a point where we're like, Oh shit. These need to work together, you know? So I've mm-hmm. just been telling people you can bisque to 04. And for me, I've just bisque to 06 or 07 because it's like, I'm cheap. Get that shit bisque. Let's be done. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's a bisque. And yeah. so 
now I'm learning. I've been doing O5, and that has helped, actually. Interesting. For some student work that uh, they use Amico or Mako uh, glazes specifically. The glazes are laying down better. So wow. I might go to O4, so... Yeah. yeah, I feel like I hear 04 out there, but I've heard from others that like 06 is okay. But... Well, for me, I've always been a dipper. I don't have time to paint. And actually, now I paint more uh, glazes on than I ever did because I don't have a dipping system in my studio and I'm not in production. And I just kind of like drink wine and watch British Murder Mysteries and just paint shit on. Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so, um, but for dipping, 04 can be a little bit tight. Yeah, I've not been a huge fan of 04, and there's a reason. Yeah, I started at 04. Could look a lot different. Yeah, I started at 04, and then the white that I was using was not absorbing as well. And so we went to 06, and and then I've always bissed to 06 from then. And um, that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Very cool. So, did we want to do any of the last questions that some people had? Uh, there's a few in here about recycling. Like, is there too many clay bodies that you can recycle together, um, or you know, can you recycle too much? Or <laughs> recycle your clay too many times? You can. If you recycle your clay too many times, you've pulled off a lot of the tiny fine particles, so you end up with a short clay. So I recommend throwing in a scoop of bentonite or a scoop of ball clay. Or just wedge it with some fresh clay. Is that is that per like what's the proportion here? Is it like one cup per like five gallon bucket of re of slop? About <laughs> ish, yeah. It's like it's like something you know. I mean, it's not real sciency, you know. So whenever you recycle, you kind of get what you get. Um, I just recommend people put everything in from their bucket in, as opposed to just the chunks. And because think about your B mix water, you threw away all the super fine stuff with your B mix water. So, yeah. So, with the Iceman, like I I have a bucket there with the Iceman, right? And everything settles to the bottom. So, Mm -hmm. is Iceman all at the bottom, or is there still stuff in the water, even though the water's very clear? If the water's very clear, you can dump the water. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's out. Sweet. But if you find it getting short, it's because. The stuff in your splash pan or just you just nibbled off enough of the fine plastic stuff that you need to wedge it with some or pug it with some fresh. Because the yeah. fine is going to hold it together. It's not going to rip apart. Exactly. Gotcha. I think pugging it with fresh is a good idea regardless, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Is mm. there too many clay bodies you can reclaim together? If, I guess if it's at the same temperature. Whatever you get. Probably you know, doesn't matter, right? If you get like a bunch of cone six in a pile, you'll end up with a cone six clay. Yeah. yeah. Proportions are high enough, yeah. 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 So. Hmm. Somebody asked about speckled clay. Why do the specs speckles only show up after the final firing? Because that again, the manganese has a sweet spot. It's like at cone five and a half, they just go. You know, they just they just melt into this you know, the black specks. And right before then, you just see tiny little specks, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, it's real subtle when it's wet. Yeah, 2150 or something, they just go, ah, and they just become liquid. So, And then if you fire them to, like, 
seven, eight, nine, I think they can get, they increase in size. I don't know. I think there's a couple of cone 10 speckle clays with manganese, but I don't make one. Hmm. So, yeah. Nice. Um, oh, somebody asked, this is a good, uh, cleaning question so that so you talk about cleaning your studio and studio practices they said how do you clean your studio floors whether it's i guess it's in your student spaces or like the spaces where you mix in a bunch of clays and dry materials i can imagine that can get pretty crazy to clean yeah we have like uh um we pick up the chunks and throw them in boxes and they go in the trash but we have like that green sweep that kind of oil coated sawdust that we'll put down if we have like a spill you know, oh my God, this bag of clay just fucking broke everywhere. Great. And we just throw the green sweep on it and that keeps the dust down and we'll just put it in, you know, sweep it up and then throw it in the dumpster. But periodically, like ideally once a week, but it doesn't happen. I have a floor cleaner. It's like one of those little, you know, janitorial, like scrub. What is Zamboni? Bang. Yeah. And I just kind of like, <laughs> for like a couple hours. And I just suck up this slurry of just crap and just, you know, it it's just gotta look nice when you're done with it that. It does like five seconds, dude. It's dope. And then it's just like, how much or, does one of those cost? A lot. Ours uh-huh. is tiny. Ours is like, like an 18 five. inch or 24 inch or something. 24 inches. Cause we are in a really old building where some of the doors are like, who the fuck was in here? How did you yeah. get in the room? <laughs> Lilliputian shit, you know, when people were like really skinny. And so I was like, it needs to fit through every door. And it was like seven grand on sale. They're oh my like, God. They're like 15 grand. They're really expensive, but man, they're worth every penny. If you have a concrete floor or like a solid surface, it just, because you can mop all you want, but you're just going to smear it everywhere. And, um, but this actually vacuums it up right away and it's dry. So you don't have like the slipping hazard and, you know, it's pretty But cool. it like, it puts water down and then vacuums it, right? Yeah. yeah I, so there's no hazard. It doesn't put enough water down to not kick up dust. So I just spray, I just have a hose and I just, I just <laughs> miss the whole warehouse or the whole studio, let that soak it up. And then the brushes just go and just make oh, a slurry. Oh, nice. And I suck the slurry up. So it's all... That's- so oh. cool. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. What about the air filtration system? What's, what's oh, we have it? like 18 different HEPA things. We've got <laughs> like a little arm that's like HEPA. We got like a hanging thing. We've got like a thing. There's a lot of dust collection. A lot of things. A lot of things. A lot of, things. A lot of air things. Yeah. But like generally, if you buy like air filtration for your studio, it doesn't have to be HEPA. But if you're an employer, if it filters anything, it has to be HEPA because you have mm-hmm. employees. So r- really, most things that are going to filter dust are going to be like 99.5. HEPA is 99.97. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... So if it's just yeah. you in the studio, you're putting yourself at risk and it's like yeah. get something that air filtrates. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, I had to get... I had to get like these IQ airs and they're the, like the only one of the only ones that are not like those huge ass ones that you put on the ceiling, but, um, it's like a hyper HEPA. So it sucks out 0.001 microns or whatever. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's pretty cool though. 
Back yeah. Did you see this last question here? I feel like this was a nod to you, but there's one that says, how hot can you pull pieces out of a kiln without negatively negative side effects? And does it vary with clays or glazes? Oh, Lord. That's like... Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you sure you want to answer this? I, I, I would like to just get a second opinion because I feel like Becca has said her piece and then I'm sure others have said their piece. I'm curious to hear somebody else. For me, if it's my own work and I need it, I'm like 350. Get that bitch out. If it's like student work or something that, you know, I don't want to mess up, you know, under 200, under 150, under 100, ideally. But yeah. Nice. Have you had people talk about clays and like having issues with anything like that of taking them out too early or having, uh, uh, does the clay have a big factor in like whether you're going to get, um, you know, glaze issues as it's, as it's cooling and stuff like that with like glaze fit? Have you had a lot of issues with that or pulling it out too early? You mean, yeah, pulling out too early or just people having issues with the glaze fitting on mudworks clays or something like that. I mean, it depends on the brand. Um, of the, I find that coyote glazes aren't super compatible with with ours as well as like high water. Um, mm-hmm. Part of me, part of it is that I think a lot of companies only test their glazes. Their glazes are beautiful, but they they do all their R and D on a B mixed body. That's it. Yeah. Because it's bright, it's true to color, and it looks good, and it's fast. And that worked until five years ago. You know, everybody used B-Mix. Everybody used white clay. Yeah. And now it's, you know, for me, I made a line of clays that I think the clay looks prettier than the glaze. You yeah. know, why not show the clay off? So you've got a lot of people using a lot of different colored clay bodies with a lot of different chemistry. And then you've got glazes that were only ever tested on one or two bodies and they're out in the marketplace. And so you're going to have a lot of issues as far as that goes, you know, that's my thing. And I'm not saying I've done it perfectly and I've tested every one of my glazes on every single clay body or every one of my clay bodies with every glaze. It's not possible. But for me, whenever I release a glaze with my label on it, it works with every clay body as far as fit goes. Brown bear is an exception because it kind of absorbs color. You know what I mean? And it doesn't like matte glazes. But yeah. um, but I, te- I don't usually approve or like a glaze other than a clear or like a line of pastels, you know, for just one clay body. You know, like we have, we have like five or six colors that are really meant for porcelain because they just are pastels and they sing on porcelain. Um, but you don't even, we wouldn't even see them on brown bear, you know, but they would still fit the brown bear. But, yeah. So that's where uh, that, go, uh, you know, my thoughts on that go. So. Nice. Yeah. That's All right. Cool. Becca, did you have any last questions? We just hit the two hour mark. What's your favorite color? Blue? Blue of some kind. Like my studio, I love that color. But I also mm. love like... It looks kind of green on the camera. It's like an it looks, aqua. It's an aqua blue. Um, like a pastel. But I love like 
steel blue. Mm. I just like colors that made me go, oh, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't nice. love white. White's like the new thing. Everything's white. Everybody wants white walls and white this and white that. I never got into that. I like, I like color. But I, I mean, I like bright color too. I just, for me, I tend to go for muted tones. Nice. Awesome. So did you all have anything new coming out that you wanted people to know about for Mudworks? I know you were talking about you're working on a gray thing, gray clay body potentially. Are there anything new that people should look forward to? Limited edition clay bodies. I'm really enjoying the limited edition clay body thing. Um, it's fun. And, and if it works and, and becomes a staple, then it won't be limited edition. I've got about two or three bodies. I'm working on like a, like not speckle turtle dark, but not Iceman light. Like those two, like had a baby with with some speckles, but they're really random and different sizes and stuff. So like a warm, you know, something that looks like your traditional uncle's 1970s stone <gasps> wear. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Right. Sounds like uh, right Becca's alley. <laughs> I know, I know. <clears throat> and a gray, a gray, and then I've also got uh, a porcelain with golden flecks in it. What? what? I know, right? I know. <laughs> I'm excited. And then we're working on a glaze that's uh, a line of satin glazes that are fork and knife resistant, like fucking samurai sword satin. Nice glazes so wow yeah people always love the satin black glaze that i have so that's a that's a lovely one that people always appreciate yeah and not like those horrible like super bright like neon rainbow satin glazes i don't love those like i like Mm. those colors but i don't want that on my pots i i like if you look at all of our glazes it's like oh link likes muted earth tones you know just (laughs) so that's what I'm working on. Is there a white clay with like specks in it? That's like, let's see, somebody asked white clay that has spots in it after it's fired. I guess that would be like a dark star would be an option. Yeah, that'd be dark star. Was that a limited edition one, the dark star? Uh, no, I basically threw that one down and was like, this is dope. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel and like now, it's fairly recent, right? Yeah. Uh, it's been about two years. I don't know if you noticed now there's a B mix with specks. So I guess, you know that you're famous and you've made it in the tiny world of pottery when Laguna decides to copy your clay body and make a B-mix with specs, so. Oh. Oh, <laughs> nice. I saw that and I was like, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever. So. You're like, whatever, I'm the shit. It's fine. I used one of the, uh, Josh had some of that speckled brown bear. I tried some of that. I didn't see what it looked like after it was fired because he was firing it, but um, the mug I saw looked good. I didn't get to look at it close up, but... Yeah, it's fun. It's real subtle. You gotta slap a glaze on it that really the specs come out. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. I need a t-shirt that says bitches love specs. That's like gonna be on my gravestone and i mean bitches in a very respectful way like not (laughs) but it's just like everybody loves speckles not everybody but it's just like you like that there's some specks in it people are like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that Speckles is the new uh, Speckles is the new ship lap. <gasps> no, but it totally it totally is. Like I'm actually not a fan of Speckles. Like I am a fan of Speckles, but I'm not. Um, I chose them. I like. <laughs> When I was doing my testing, I was like, oh, I'll just try the speckled clay, whatever. And then it turned out to work really, really well with what I was doing. But um, typically, I'm not going to, like, scoot towards a speckle. Um, but but I definitely feel like every uh, 20 to 27 female potter is using <laughs> speckled clay right now. And it is – and with a white glaze, I will hey, tell that you – Hey, speckled it white good. sells like hotcakes. I sell it, it like crazy. good. Yeah, I I include Ryan in the in the, the 20, 20 to you know 30 year old women yeah. women yeah um and yeah it's the new shiplap it's the Joanna Gaines of the clay world right right <laughs> that uh that Inferno Red looks really good on the speckles though because it like yeah. it looks kind of rusty and it's it's cool people like that for sure like random the the manganese specks come through randomly yeah I love that. yeah. Oh, uh, one funny thing is that, uh, I guess a while ago, somebody threw a bunch of tumblers and stuff in, uh, the speckled turtle and you can't tell the difference when it's fist between the speckled turtle and the regular turtle. And so just randomly, there'll be like a speckled white tumbler, like in this group of <laughs> like in, the, in the group, like that gets fired. And I'm like, Rebecca, why is there always just one? And she's like, because we have no idea where they are. Like, <laughs> It's like it's like move over on the dish. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. How can, like, I guess, where do we find, I guess we kind of talked about where we find you, but what's your website? Let's go with that. KYMudworks.com or Dirty Girls Pottery Tools.com. Both the Groovy Tool, Trim Tools and dirty girls tools on it and then, that's a separate website because it's easier to find sometimes when you got like 4,000 products shit gets buried in a mudworks website and we have yeah. like dealers for our tools so it's easier for them to like see what we sell and it's kind yeah. of a separate brand um so those yeah those are those are the websites sweet Cool. Thanks well, for chatting gonna... with us. I feel like yeah. we're all smarter from from listening to this. I definitely oh, I learned a few things it. for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna leave. We're gonna say goodbye, but don't leave. Somebody really smart's gonna call me like that. Bitch doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you just got a whole bunch of new customers from this conversation. So <laughs> just remember, they listen to me on a regular basis, so you'll be your gravy. <laughs> Uh, All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it, and we're having so much fun. If you want to follow us individually on Instagram, you totally can. Uh, Ryan's Instagram handle is at RD Ceramics, and mine is Five Lines Pottery. That's the number five. We would love to hear from you, and don't forget to write us a review on our podcast. We Read every single one of them, and we totally appreciate them. They help us out an awful lot, and they also put smiles on our faces. I hope you guys continue to listen, and we love you. Thanks. Bye.